have you got are you guys you guys know Dan? Oh yeah, right? of course. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. one of my one of my daily podcasts. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was telling Seton um, four years ago we were driving around uh, New Zealand with uh, we had no radio. Uh, so we'd download the Dan Patrick show and listen to you guys every day. Um, I think we put in like a styrofoam foam cup, yeah. you know, for the uh, yeah. for the audio. We had a <laughs> yes. little speaker, Jerry rigged it a little bit, and uh, yeah, so uh, respect is mutual for sure. Yeah. Right, awesome. Those voices that you heard right there are the voices of Richard Greiner and Andy Forch. They're the co-founders of one of my favorite websites, Huckberry. And uh, Huckberry is kind enough to sponsor Off the Seat and Path in all of its many forms, video, social media, and now this, the podcast. Uh, none of this would have been possible without the support of Huckberry. And uh, I'll get more into the conversation with Richard and Andy in a bit. But first, I want to introduce you to another fella who has made all of this happen. Mr. Brendan Pike, how are you, Brendan? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. How comfortable are you, are you in front of a microphone? Uh, I would give myself a 7 out of 10. Yeah, all right, that's good. So you're the more confident one out of the two of us then. Oh, I'm, pro- okay. I'm probably hovering at a 5-6 right about 5-6, that's good. Uh, yeah, this is a new new feeling for me, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to dive right in. So Brendan, um, if you don't know, he Dan refers to him as the French kid. Whenever he's talking on the Dan Patrick show about Dan will mention like, oh, the French kid in the back. That's Brendan. That's who, who he's referring to. Brendan does, uh, he did the making of a comedian. Uh, you did the 360 tour on the website, right? Yeah. yeah, 360 tour. You do, you shoot a lot of our social media stuff, behind the scenes stuff. Correct. Um, I'm alternatively referred to as John Wilkes Booth. Correct. Which I'm <laughs> less excited about. Uh, That's right. You did pick up John Wilkes Booth recently. <laughs> I was the French kid when I had longer hair, and then I got it cut. And he's just like, "Hey, you look a lot like John Wilkes yeah. Booth." And now you're and now I'm a presidential assassin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming up in the world. Yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, so or you also had something in Cannes. I, yeah, I like to mention that. that. I think you should too. I I, I love mentioning that. Uh, and that's actually where the French name, the French kid, came from. Is, is that where that came from? That's where it originated. I asked Dan for a week off to go to France. I had a short film that was premiering there at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. It was named? Aonar. Aonar. A-O-N-A-R. You can watch that on Amazon. Just a little plug for myself. Love it. Um, yeah, and then Dan started calling me the French kid. The French kid. Wow. You know, it's funny. I never knew that. For some reason, you know, this show has a funny way of just getting nicknames that you stick with like that. I don't even question why it is. I don't even really know why the German kid is the German kid necessarily. I don't know if he's German or not. I I, I know that story. It, all right. Well, we'll have to save that for another yeah. day. Maybe? Put, it, put it in a pocket. That's a tease right yeah. there. Uh, so anyway, Brendan uh, is sort of the co-counterpart, co-creator, co- I don't want to say mastermind of this show, uh, but we sort of hatched off the seat and path together. Correct. Yeah, we were at a bar in Houston uh, during the Super Bowl. and I, my, Poison Girl. Poison Girl. That's Poison right. Girl was the name of the bar. It's yeah. like my favorite bar. In Montrose, Texas, yes. which is like a wicked cool neighborhood in uh, Houston, mm-hmm. which was surprisingly hard to find. Um, not to say anything bad about 
Houston, but... Well, it's a big city. It's a big city. It's a really, really big city. Really sprawled out. Montrose is a super cool neighborhood, though. And uh, I remember the thing about Poison Girl that I really loved. I feel like on that block, there was like a tattoo shop, a skate shop, and then this bar that had all of this great whiskey and awesome beers and some pinball and a little outside place that you could sit. And it was so rad. Yeah, it was wicked cool. And so we were we were there for the Super Bowl and... I was trying to still kind of trying to figure out my role with the show. Mm. And I had this idea of doing, I wanted to do something serial that we could sort of run as like a consistent piece. And so you and I were just at this bar talking about the things we loved, which was bars, music, <laughs> particularly dive bars. Right, right. You know, authentic bars where you, that were kind of off the beaten path. Mm. And then I think Seaton was like, off the Seaton path. Off the Seaton path, because you have to do everything corny like that. Or I yeah, do. You know, right. I always have to twist every word. I, I think we do that a lot on the Dan Patrick show, actually. For sure. And then you had to text your wife to make sure that it was a good idea. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how most, uh, if I'm if I'm conscious enough to be like, hey, babe, uh, should I do this? It almost always works out in the positive. Right. You know, it's mm-hmm. when I don't text my wife to be like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? It's like, oh, I probably, that was probably a terrible idea. Yep. I should have run that buyer. Um, But so anyway, we started, we sort of hatched this plan in uh, uh, Houston to sort of, uh, I I had done another podcast called Seton Calling uh, that was basically just me interviewing bands and stuff like that. And I wanted to sort of do this, or, you know, we were in the bar and we hatched this plan of sort of like a travel show, music show, kind of beers and bars and, and, uh, and we're like, man, that could be a lot of fun to shoot. And so we started shooting a whole bunch of them, actually, and we went to uh, a couple of different cities. We did one in New York City. We did one in Philadelphia. Uh, we, we went to Asbury Park and did punk rock bowling there. Um, and we were doing it. We were sort of figuring out what Off the Seat and Path was going to be, and we were doing it all you know, on our own dime. And we were calling in a lot of favors. I know you called in a bunch of favors to, to ask you know, people to help out. And I was paying for hotel rooms and all of this stuff. Yeah, it was a lot. It was just sort of by the seat of our pants as we were just sort of crushing through this, trying to figure out how does this work as a show? Like, you know, for me, producing and structure-wise, like how does this something that people are going to actually want to watch and how do you get enough footage as, a one, as one person shooting, producing, and doing audio? It was just... Uh, it's very taxing. Because for people, right, people who don't know, there's usually, when you see a, a TV show or people are out doing stuff, there's, it's usually more than one person sort of holding the camera and doing all the audio and doing, uh, you know, all of, like, the actual production work that goes behind the scenes. It's, it's a lot more than just, like, well, mic this guy up and then shoot the camera at him. You usually have, you know, a handful, three, four, five, six, seven people, you yeah. know, helping out with that stuff. And you were sort of running around doing all of it or getting a buddy, to right. help out. I got I got our friend uh my friend Pat to help us out in Philadelphia. And even then still it was our also our most ambitious shoot to date. We were going to do four bars <laughs> in one day. Is this Philadelphia? This is Philly. Yeah. 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 And so he came down and he shot with us and uh but it was still like absolute insanity sprinting around Philly with uh the band nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So right, right. So uh 
Nikki and Kyle from the band Nothing. They, we went there under the guise of doing like a, uh, we were going to do the best bars to watch the draft. The NFL draft was in town. And so we were going to go to sort of like all these local spots. And I think that, Brenda, you had a pretty good idea right after the first bar that it was going to be a long day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beers were going down way too easy. Yeah. And uh, I, I was having the best time with those guys. And they're like super cool and easy, you know, so personable and a lot of fun to be around. They picked great bars to go see. Uh, but you know, after that first bucket of beers, it was like, oh man, we still got like four or five more of these to do. Yep. Yeah. And it was just, uh, the, the, that was just a very challenging, I mean, it always had a good spirit though. Like mm. even though it was challenging, it was still like a ton of fun. And every single time we did an episode going from, you know, Houston to Hartford to Philly to Asbury park, every single one got better and we learned more and we figured more out. And that, that was uh, that was great. Well, I think I think it was the Asbury Park one too. That um, which was I think our the strongest one to date at that time. They've mm-hmm. since we've shot many more since then, uh, and you'll n- understand the line of delineation a little better. But Asbury Park was the one that we were still doing this all on our own dime uh, and sort of one man banding it. And that was the one that driving home, I called my wife and I was like, I don't know how many more times I can ask Brendan to do this. Because yeah. he's like killing himself trying to get this stuff done. And we don't even really know what exactly it is that we're doing. And I, I don't know how many more times I can ask him to like, hey, man, come spend the weekend with me to go like interview all these people and drive yourself crazy and then try to get it all edited so we could get it on the show. And uh, it was it was just a lot to ask of somebody. Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely at, at wit's end to a point, but emotionally I was more broken physically after that day than anything. <laughs> and I, I blame Charles Bradley for that. Right. Yeah. Because it, it just, I, I was just walking away from the stone pony with my camera, backpack, and a tripod. And like my lower back was just on fire. And yeah. I'm like, God, we got to figure out a better way to do this. It was a long weekend. It was yeah. a long weekend. But yeah, I knew I knew that at some point then we were going to need some type of help and and backing for sure that while we had a pretty good concept laid out, I knew that at you know, my bosses the way they were seeing it, what I was essentially asking them for was, "Hey, can you just give me a bunch of money to bring a crew down to some music festival so I can hang out and drink with all these bands and make some content out of it?" And I'm like, "Ah, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't, <laughs> and why are we, why do we need to pay for that again? Like that sounds more like a vacation than it does a TV show or something that we could use. So I knew that you know, in order to get our company to buy on and buy into the concept, we would need a sponsor uh, to ultimately pony up some money and and give us some budget so we could hire. Uh, you know, a, a couple camera people, a guy to do audio, a guy to, you know, how about so you weren't sort of one man banding it. And almost as soon as we were having that conversation, I got a, a call or an email from one of our sales guys. And they were like, hey, you ever heard of Huckberry? And I was like, hell yeah, dude. I, lo- I No joke. They're one of my favorite websites. And I had been shopping there and going there for years before uh, they got involved here. Absolutely. And I, I, too, as soon as you mentioned it, I was like any for like the past like three birthdays. My mom has asked me, like, what do you want me to get you? And I would just send her to Huckberry. And that's, like, not a paid endorsement. Like, that's a genuine right. story. Like, I, I I, loved their stuff. And it was, like, that perfect combination of being an urban outdoorsman and uh, living in Queens where I live. It's right. Just, still trying to maintain that aesthetic of like, no, 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 I'm a country boy. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, so. right. Well, so if you're not familiar with Huckberry, um, it's sort of, they describe it as uh, if GQ and Outside Magazine had a baby, which is pretty true. It's like you just said the phrase urban outdoorsman. That's pretty much 
that pretty much nails it right on the head. And that uh, you know, I pretty much every day I have something uh, sort of everyday carry. Every day I have something from them on me, whether it's uh, my keychain or a shirt or the boots that I'm wearing or uh, the Zippo lighter that I like to carry, even though I don't smoke. Uh, like I have all of these different things, and they really ride the line perfectly between a guy who works in the city but likes to spend his weekends out in the country. Uh, and they, uh, they were really the perfect brand uh, to come on board with us. And so we, we sort of line up this thing with Huckberry. Uh, they're going to get on board. And we took a trip out to San Francisco uh, post Super Bowl, but before Pebble Beach. Yeah, it was right after they had everything came through, and they were ready to to, to host us and take care of us uh, and take care of production. We were flying out of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and we were going down to Pebble. So we decided, hey, we're landing in San Francisco. Let's go meet with the Huckberry guys and uh, hop into Anchor Steam Brewing. Yeah, that was perfect. Uh, so you're right. Anchor Steam is right down the street from the Huckberry offices, and they were like, yeah, guys, come on in, and like we'll show you the offices, and then we'll get you a tour of Anchor Steam, and then uh, we can sit down and, and chat a little bit and uh, sort of learn a little bit about each other. Um, and that was really a great thing to catch up on. And uh, actually I'm going to let, I'm going to get Richard and, and Andy tell you a little bit about themselves and a little bit about Huckberry, the brand, but it's Richard Griner, Andy Forch. Uh, and by the way, a good interview, a good interviewer would have identified them more by name as this is going on, <laughs> but I'm not a good interviewer. So I don't ever do that. You're learning. Uh, You're so learning. Just, one, I, I'm pretty sure the first voice that you hear is Richards, and then uh, after that, Andy is in there. But either way, they're both the guys from Huckberry. They're really great, but they're going to tell you a little bit about uh, who they are and how they got started. Well, I'll go back to the beginning for me. I'm from, from Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Proud Clevelander. Uh, go Browns. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy is right. That's <laughs> 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 Hey, we got, we got the Indians and, and the Cavs. And, dra- and draft picks. And lots of draft picks. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably squander away. But um, different story. So yeah. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Went to school at, uh, on the East Coast at Villanova. Uh, had a great four years there. Uh, really grew to love the uh, Philadelphia fans when I was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then uh, you know, went to work in finance uh, after school in New York. Um, and took a lateral opportunity to come out to San Francisco. Um, you know, I lived in the Midwest. I lived on the East Coast. So then I figured... You know, why not? West Coast is, is pretty cool. Check it out. Um, and so that brought me out here. <clears throat> and, um, you know, Andy basically followed a very similar path. Do you want to? Yeah. Yeah. The... So I went to UVA for undergrad, um, uh, moved to New York City, worked at an investment bank, and uh, lived in Murray Hill, probably two blocks from you. Two blocks. Surprised we didn't run into each other. Um, and then uh, also took an opportunity out here uh, with the investment bank. Um, here in San Francisco, and I think we met at a party thrown by our buddy Skyler, who was trying to raise Skyler. money. He's a great white shark photographer, uh, raising a Kickstarter to yeah. shoot a video in South Africa, uh, of which a video was never produced, but I think he had some good times down there. Got a free trip out of it. I think he was one of those, like, Lady in the Tramp, like, you reach for the same beer and you Basically. make eye contact. Oh, yeah. We were the only guys in there, you know, in a suit. And, um, I think, yeah, we became ski buddies, right? Mm-hmm. Started hanging out, skiing, and um, yeah, you know, I think coming from New York City, saw all these uh, cool emerging brands there mm. that when we came to San Francisco, um, 
you know, you find brands like Taylor Stitch, right? Like the brand you're wearing. Yeah. And, uh, and none of our friends, you know, knew about the New York City brands and sort of vice versa. And um, we're also sort of living this, you know, city slash outdoors lifestyle and all the other uh, sort of retailers and brands and even blogs out there were like either like super hardcore fashion, you know, which to us has always been sort of a four letter word, uh, or we're super like granola, you know, outdoorsy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, saw an opportunity in the market to, um, yeah, to sort of, you know, create our own sort of retail concept. And uh, so we, you know, made sort of the foolish decision as uh, 25 year olds to quit our job, uh, took, you know, basically all of our life savings, you know, up to that point. Um, worked out of our apartments. We, uh, you know, chose the name Huckberry. Um, one, because, you know, obviously it was sort of a derivative of the, you know, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and it stood for adventure. Uh, it was also the, the first great American novel. Um, the first novel, you know, in sort of the American vernacular. And as you know, we carry a lot of uh, American-made products. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, just was sort of a totem for adventure. It also and, helped the domain was uh, yeah. $7.99 on GoDaddy. Exactly. Sold. Making uh, very practical decisions right. uh, sort of back then and picked up, you know, we went, picked up Photoshop for dummies and learned Photoshop and taught ourselves how to code a little and, mm. and hired your, uh, your, one of your best friend's younger brothers who's at Berkeley to kind of code up the site and uh, you know, sent Richard around to trade shows with the crappiest design business cards, which I designed, <laughs> you know, pitching this concept uh, with no website, you know, and basically got turned down by everyone. Um, but I knew Richard. It was, a, it was a classic chicken and the egg kind of situation. Um, you go talk to suppliers or brand partners, and they're like, oh, cool, how many, how many customers do you have? You're like, well, we don't have any. Mm. Uh, we don't have any because we don't have any brands or products for sale. And so it's like this just classic, like, you know, how do you, how do you get over that first hump? Yeah. How do you get off the ground? Well, that's something that really uh, appealed to me about you guys right from the start is a focus on sort of emerging brands. Uh, rather than established ones, yeah. you know, uh, because that's something that right, like Taylor did. Like, they make the, these amazing clothes, uh, and they don't necessarily have the distribution or the uh, maybe brand awareness yeah. of of those bigger brands. So being able to bring those things to a more national platform uh, really appealed to me. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, that's really our sweet I like, spot. I like supporting those kinds of things, you know. Totally, yeah. And you know the story, you know, we tell the stories of the makers and, you know, we shoot videos with those guys and uh, we'll do like artist series and, and uh, collaborations and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's really our sweet spot are those cool emerging brands. And, um, you know, the, I like to tell people to like think sort of the next Patagonia or the next sort of North Face because sure. all those companies, you know, like the North Face is owned by VF Corp. Um, and they're doing, you know, cool, exciting things, but it wasn't where they were 30 years ago where you had the founder in the business and he was looking at, like, you know, going to all the trade shows, geeking out over fabrics. Like, we love telling those stories, you know, yeah. and kind of focusing on those guys. Yeah, I feel like we talked a lot up there about emerging brands and sort of supporting the little guy over the big guy. And I feel like a lot of that came from, even as a kid, you know, like I liked bands that nobody knew. Or once a band got really popular, it was like, well, I'm not going to go to that show anymore because there's just too many people there, which is so silly to do, actually. You know, but you're a kid, you know, you're 15, 16 years old or whatever, and you're just kind of figuring yourself out. But now, as an adult, I, like, I feel like that carries over into supporting smaller businesses or smaller brands or not just necessarily going to the big, gigantic ones that are doing fine. 
they're good. Don't worry about it. But more the people that are starting out and then entrepreneurs are the people like Richard and Andy who are like, ah, we took our life savings and sunk it into this idea because we believed in it. I mean, I just feel like that's so important to support. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, it's also cool to be, to feel like there's like an exclusivity factor too, where it's just like, yeah, this is cool to, like you said, like when you're a kid, like just to have like, I'm the first one with this. I introduced everybody in this area about this. Right, right. And so, but that, but, but you're right. That like, that, that comes to like anytime there's a new small restaurant or bar that opens your neighborhood, you want to go check it out right away because it's new and it's different and it's not, you know, some big chain restaurant. And yeah, yeah. And that, I, I think like I kept, while we were shooting this, I kept thinking like, so they're kind of talking about OTSP a little bit as well. Like right. it's kind of like a new thing that we hadn't totally figured out and they took a chance and, you know, worked with us. And even just the whole concept of uh, like what we wanted to, one of the things we identified with the show that we wanted to do, and it's the example that I always use um, and I'll probably use on a, an episode coming up again soon, but anybody can go to Times Square uh, to see New York City. But if you really want to get to the heart of New York City, for me, you go to the Lower East Side. Right. right? That's where, like, all of the, like, my favorite part of New York City uh, and that, that history, it's not really there necessarily anymore, but uh, that's where all of these great music venues were and all these great clubs and all of this great music came from. So, like, yeah, Times Square is great. Go there and check out the lights and check out all of the restaurants and bars and stuff that are there. Um, but you know, there's, there's all of these little special pockets in cities all over the country and that those are the kind of places that I, when we travel with the Dan Patrick show, those are the places that I want to find. Yeah, absolutely. And like, kind of like my, my wife and I have a, a vacation trick where we'll do the first day, we'll do all the touristy stuff right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time we'll just walk around and yeah. then like at, you tend to just like bump into more random stuff. And then you have conversations with random people who actually live in the city and can recommend something that's sort of a turn away from the, the, the standard. Well, I just read a thing actually about, you know, the be- the worst way to experience a city is like a cab, you know, and that while you do, you want to do all of the touristy things, right? And you want to hit like the museum or this famous piece of uh, architecture, whatever it is, you want to do all of those things and you should absolutely see them. But if you can walk to all of them, because the way that you get a, the best feel for a city and what it's truly like to be there is by walking the city streets and walking the blocks. And so while you can't always do that, but when you can, uh, like this travel magazine was recommending that it's, it's really the best way to, to vacation and the best way to see and understand the place that you're visiting. Sure, absolutely. And I, I kind of connect that to uh, the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. He talks about experiencing driving across the country on a motorcycle versus in a car. And he talked about riding on his motorcycle and looking at all these people just staring out the windows at all these like glorious sights in Wyoming and wherever. And he's like, you're you're almost watching it through a video screen when you're looking at it through a window. And so like being out in the elements and being a part of something and breathing the air and, and sort of feeling the environment is, is like such a good philosophy, I think, towards travel. Well, in my head, I want to be a, a motorcycle guy who can, um, you know, drive cross country or ride across country on it and experience it that way. But I got married and had a son, and all of that went immediately. Out. And my wife is like, yeah. "Okay, I know that in your head, that's what you think you're doing, but you're never doing that ever." I'm like, "Okay, makes sense. Hey, makes yeah, perfect you're, sense." You're right. You're okay, right. babe. No, I got it. No problem. Skydiving out the window. No problem. Figure out uh, fishing or something. No all sweat. Good. But walking through Paris is something you can do. 
I can walk through Paris. I can. I can do that well. Um, so any, actually, Richard and Andy, they tell a funny story. Uh, and this is one of those things when somebody says uh, I, I, they might want this cut out. And they actually say that in there. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if uh, were they serious or not. So I'm just going to throw it in here anyway. Uh, but actually, Richard, uh, Andy tells a very funny story about how he knew he wanted to work with Richard. Uh, so check this out. <laughs> I always knew I wanted Richard to be my business partner because when we would go out, he had an uncanny ability to, to go up to a group of girls, hit on one, get immediately turned down, unfazed, turn to her friend and, and say, well, how about you, right? <laughs> <laughs> kind of need that ability. Yeah, uh, just, hey, shoot or shoot, right? That's right. right. you got to take your shot. Yeah, exactly. Just every shot you don't take. Yeah, that's... Absolutely correct. That's another great quote. Yeah. yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. So that's how, uh, like the you guys knew that you would work together aside from being friends, but uh, like just hanging out and like, oh, this is clicking kind of thing. Yeah, I think we were both sort of living, um, yeah, living this like city outdoors sort of adventure lifestyle. We we're both, you know, sort of like gearheads into the same brands, and you know, around the time we were starting the company, uh, you had Kickstarter, mm. you know popping up, you had Indiegogo, you know, so you had a platform for all these independent brands that previously, um, you know, there's no way they were going to get shelf space at like Macy's or Best Buy or, um, you know, REI, because a lot of these guys, they charge, you know, the, the conditions and terms for setting up a deal with them are, are cost prohibitive for a lot of these small brands. Um, and so, yeah, coming out of that, um, we sort of, you know, both were sort of living the same lifestyle and in the same brands. and. Um, yeah, and, and just, I think being in a city like San Francisco where there's so many entrepreneurs, mm. um, we're, we're literally the only ones in like a suit at all the parties we went to. Um, you know, in, in the temporary housing I was living in when I was getting set up, uh, the, I, I think we had like the Airbnb guys, you know, at one point we're in there, the, uh, the Dropbox founder. Mm. Uh, and I think if you're just in that environment, it's like yeah. contagious, like over time, you know. There's two things about that clip that I love. Right. One. It, and it is true. So you have a guy who's fearless at a bar who could just go up and talk to talk to people. Right. And when you get shot down, you just go to the next. one. OK, whatever. Right. Uh, that does actually, I feel like, probably carry over into business where he's not afraid to walk into any room, whether it's an investor or it's somebody you're trying to close a deal with or some brand that you're trying to some retailer, whatever it is like. Yeah, cool. All right. Let's go in there and take our best shot. I think that that's a really great thing that that Richard uh, that Andy picked up on. Yeah, no, it's extremely valuable to just that that sort of fearlessness is like absolutely necessary for for somebody in like that side of the business. For me, like being social, I'm so socially awkward. There's no way I could ever walk into a <laughs> an, a building and do like a cold call sale or anything like that. Right. Um. So I'm I'm always wildly impressed with with people who have that ability. Absolutely. And I think that's definitely a huge huge success factor for for a business. The other thing that stands out to me too is when he's uh, Andy starts naming off all of their sort of like contemporaries and people that they were coming up with at the same time. And it's like Kickstarter and Uber. And I don't, I don't remember exactly all of the names that he listed there, but those are all, I mean, massive companies now. The, right. the, I mean, those are all huge success stories, for, at a, you know, out of Silicon Valley area. Like that's such a wild. What kind of pressure is that? Yeah, it's such keep... a pocket of creativity though, like competition and creativity that sort of fuel together. Right. Right, right. Well, that you know, that's and San Francisco is really interesting to me in that way. In that it's a very old city. I mean, it goes back to the 1700s, and it's got all kinds of very interesting historical events and uh, 
you know, just the, these great moments in history that took place there. It's got this great past, but it's a city mostly that's known for innovation and sort of leading the way to the future. And that to me is an interesting place to sit in between. Yeah. Uh, and so that's actually the, the guys talk about how San Francisco is really the, the perfect place for them in their business. I, I think, you know, San Francisco is the perfect um, headquarters for us because, you know, one, it's obviously, a, it's, a, it's a true city. Um, but you have access not only to the ocean, so you can you know wake up and, and go surfing in the morning and come back and go to work. Um, you know you can leave at lunchtime and you can drive to Tahoe uh, and you can go skiing, right? So you can sort of do that uh, all in one day. You can really sort of experience four seasons. Um, so for us, yeah, it really is sort of the, the, the perfect totem for Huckberry, the perfect headquarters. Um, you know, everyone in our office, like every weekend, they're knocking off to go to Yosemite. You know, they'll do big wall climbing. Um, and, you know, can really sort of, you know, test the products, you know, we're trying out sort of in real time. So um. I, I think San Francisco was also, you know, the, the base, the genesis of it, the birth of it was really the gold rush. And I think people were seeking a, a sort of a sense of adventure who came out here. Um, and I think that's very much so what, what we represent. Um, there's uh, sort of an under, undercurrent of the adventure and getting out there and getting after it uh, mentality. Um, that I think we really embody well, and um, I think that's the spirit of San Francisco. I think that's all. Uh, it, it's such a good, like, almost sales pitch for why San Francisco is a great place, but you can even expand that, I think, out to, uh, and not to sound, this isn't meant to be some type of elitist thing or anything, but it's something special that the coasts of the country offer, and the middle of the country, you know, the Midwest and Middle America has so many great things uh, that it offers as well. But a unique thing about the coast is that ability to go to the beach, to the mountains yeah. in the in one day where right. you can be down, you know, you can uh, be surf casting uh, one hour and then, you know, a couple hours later be up in the mountains, you know, taking in a crazy view. And that's just something that's unique to to the coast. Yeah, and I think it inspires that idea of, of creating balance in your own life where instead of just doing work in the city all the time, you can force yourself to get out of the city because you have the opportunity to do so. And it almost feels like a waste not to. So it's always a good reminder that like, oh, I live in New York City, but there's, you know, I can drive four hours north and go skiing all weekend. Yeah, like get out of your bubble. Right. And and go experience everything that it has, you know, that is offered to you in mm-hmm. these areas. Um, the guys also talk about, uh, they got Probably one of the best pieces of business advice, if not just life advice, from a very unlikely source. And uh, I love that they draw from this. And it's something that's been ringing in my ears ever since they said this, because it's so true. Like, really work to stretch that dollar a lot further. And, and there's also, um, you know, the, the one quote that, that we love and we tell sort of aspiring entrepreneurs is... Um, Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you, you repeatedly get punched in the face, uh, often by yourself or your business partner. Um, or your customer. Yeah, or your customer, right? Off, right? You know, you would never think that you would get um, like uh, entrepreneurial right. advice yeah. and Mike wisdom Tyson's from Mike Tyson, Tyson yeah. but that is so true. It fits perfectly. It, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of my all-time favorite business quotes like, yeah. in general. Yeah. Mike Tyson. <laughs> so thank you, Mike. That's awesome. Yeah, Iron Mike, man, coming through. Um, are you guys? So I, what well, I love that because it's so everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, and then what? <laughs> now you got to figure out what to do after you just got punched in the face. When uh, when we were in Asbury Park, I was totally ready for this shoot, all geared up. 
checked every box and then sure <laughs> enough like go to give you your lap mic and realize i forgot the microphone part of your lap mic and it's right. just like awesome you kind of punched yourself in the I face there myself but, in the face but it happens but it know? happens and then you just draft and pass and figure out what else you're gonna right. do right so it's always about like flying on the seat of your pants a little bit too well you know the more that i listen to richard and andy from huckberry talk there's I see a lot of parallels between the way uh, they started their company and sort of trials and tribulations and the way the Dan Patrick show started too, where, um, you know, like they left, uh, you know, they were investment bankers, I think. And, uh, you know, they had careers going uh, and they left that to start this where, you know, uh, we all left the mothership, all of us for the most part left the mothership and started this thing with Dan where we were in his attic and we were building it from the ground up. And it was very much a leap of faith of like, okay, I believe in in this guy, and and together we're all going to make this happen. And right, we started the show in his attic. We had no radio affiliates. Dan was going like door to door, being like, hey, do you want to take our show? Uh, you know, had, trying to get sponsors, trying to build an audience, trying just building the studios itself was a process. And we got punched in the face a lot in yeah. those first couple of and years. You guys probably wanted to punch each other in the face a lot too, like you mentioned. Uh, well, yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. Actually, we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, but the there are just sort of a lot of ups and downs. And, I'm, you know, I'm very thankful that I got to go through that experience. It, and it's, it's really what's made all of this so rewarding to me. Even just getting to do OTSP, it's like it's this the best thing in the world to me because we went through all of that stuff. You know, we built it into this other thing. And then we survived all of these dynamics of working together, which which is which is, you know, can be tough, especially it's a small group. I know we joke about 35 producers and all this stuff, but ultimately it's, it's just, you know, a handful or two of us sitting in a room working together all day. Yeah. Um, and. and- it's funny you say that about Dan just going door to door. Dan was the guy at the bar who could talk to anybody, right? In I think socials. so. If you bring it back, like Dan's <laughs> the guy who can just kind of cold call, like go to talk confidence like, right. in the ability to, to do that cold sales pitch. He's, he's that guy. Uh, so we did actually have a conversation with Richard and Andy a little bit about competition among coworkers that, that I thought was pretty interesting. But, you know, I think I think business wise, it is important to have like uh, your Duke out sessions, if you will. And I think that's a really good, healthy thing that if you're not having a fight every now and then, then you're, um, you know, uh, just going to build up and explode or something's yeah. not right. You do need a little tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure like you know, with with the rest of the, you know, the Dan Nats and Dan and everything, I'm sure there's a healthy tension and sort of, oh, yeah, you, know, you fight, you make up, you drink some beers and kind of move on, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Dan has always sort of fostered fostered an environment of, uh, of a healthy competition amongst everybody. Uh, there's a few generals in the room for sure, you know? <laughs> Dan, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we all have our own thoughts and ideas and whatever, and it's, uh, it's yeah, it's what I think makes the show so much fun, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, Dan yeah. always says it's a democracy until he weighs in. Yeah, that's you right. Know? So, yeah, we're all sort of, uh, you know, but I, I think we all bring different strengths to the company, you know, whereas, uh, like, somebody, some people are a little more, um, you know, obviously sports and stats oriented, uh, and some of us are a little more organizational, yeah. a little more business focused, yeah. uh, those kinds of things. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's healthy. See, I think that you're in a very uh, interesting position. Uh, where you can you see this from a different view than everybody else because you're sort of you're outside of the room and you're you're coming into it after it's already been established too. So talking about a, 
a competitive working environment, um, you you see it in a totally different way than I do sitting here. Right, and uh, I it, it's it really is funny watching the dynamic the internal dynamics of the show, which we probably shouldn't get too into um, uh, from an outsider's perspective of just like being able to see what triggers one person to like get fired up to trigger another to trigger another. And you can see DP's just sitting there. It's like kind of the puppet master, like to a point enjoying it. He never wants it to go too far, but he really does like fostering that idea of competition where if like he, he does it in the back room guys too, to a point where he's like, Oh, did you see what blah, blah, blah did today? Like what'd you do today, Brendan? Like right. he just loves pushing you to, to do more stuff, which is uh exciting and frustrating and awesome <laughs> yeah yeah no it is it's it's all of those things it's exciting it's frustrating it's awesome it can make you like soar through the clouds feeling like you're the best thing in the world or be like i don't know how much longer i can do this yeah i don't really know if i can handle this anymore am i getting fired tomorrow? Right. oh you're in <laughs> right exactly you're like i think i'm gonna get a raise or maybe i'm getting fired i'm not really sure which it is yeah. um but it, it's certainly it's a very unique uh dynamic and i think it's interesting too that like these guys were friends and started a company together, which can be really tricky. I mean, working with your friends can can be a tough thing because there's that business relationship and then your friendship, and you have to maintain those both of those relationships simultaneously, which could be I think could be pretty tough. Yeah, I, I've been burned working with friends many times and starting new projects, new films, short films, anything, and it's just one thing falls through the cracks, and like who you know. How do you hold somebody accountable and, you know, yell at them and still be their friend? Or, I mean, I've done it too. I've screwed up and then like just getting yelled at by your friends and like trying to go back like two hours later and have a beer with everybody else. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a strange, strange dynamic to chase. Yeah. But they, they obviously figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it seems like they've, you know, they were both so, um, sort of mild mannered and like even, you know, mm -hmm. they're both like a lot of fun to hang out with, a lot of good laughs, too. But it didn't seem like, uh, you know, like like which one of them is really the screamer? Right. You know, like, I, I don't know. They both were just sort of like, OK, cool. Uh, yeah, you want to be. OK, yeah, let's get a beer. Cool. You and I have had our fair share of arguments over drinks, too. Well, uh, we have. Yeah. We have. But I'm I'm a I'm trying not to be. But I'm a bit of a I get like up. You know, I go from yeah. like zero to one hundred and ten. Easy. And it's not a good quality of mine. <laughs> yeah, but we, we get, we, a lot of times we get more taken care of in those uh, yeah. fired up conversations than if we were both kind of dancing around what we felt. It's like you're reading my mind. It's like dancing around, you can do that for so long, or then eventually you just have to like, it. you know, one of these clips started out in that you have to have that shouting match like it's healthy it's good to have and especially when you're working with somebody uh and like a collaborator where you can have that screaming match and then you can see them the next day or later on that day or whatever or just resolve the argument like all right let's just go get a beer or like a sandwich or something yeah or the next day be like hey all right man like are we good yep we cool? definitely we're cool all right then let's sweet let's let's move on and keep building this thing yeah let's take what we learned from that and, and move forward yeah yeah and then hopefully uh when we're all super successful we all get to take these amazing trips like uh like the huckberry guys do so they ran over a whole bunch of because ultimately you keep hearing throughout this the spirit of adventure and adventure and like the huckleberry finn and i love that spirit of adventure and 
listening to entrepreneurs really inspires me because I love the, the freedom that they've built in their life and their ability to do sort of things the way that they want to do them on their own terms. That's really inspiring. Um, and these guys, well, I don't want to jump the clip, but they build in sort of a vacation here and there for themselves and they take awesome ones. Uh, and so after this, I want to sort of get maybe like a little thoughts on your bucket list of uh, places you want to go. But here's, here's Richard and Andy. We, we travel a lot. Yeah, we, yeah. we take uh, one international trip a year together, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So we've done, uh, we went to New Zealand, we went skiing, spelunking, which is like <laughs> caving basically, um, fishing. Then we went to Australia. Uh, we went hunting, yeah, spear, uh, spear spear fishing. fishing for the first yeah, time. That how was, was that? Scary. Scary yeah. thing I've ever done. Like, oh, we, we, we went uh, nonstop in the back of your head. It's yeah, terrifying. it's it, it, you know ski or uh, spear fishing in Australia in the sort of the southern part where there's there's quite a few great whites. It's yeah. it's definitely sitting in the back of your head. And <laughs> what am I doing out here? The guy we were with, this guy Pete Bar Barfoot, is just a, he's like a living, breathing, um, you know, outdoorsman, just just incredible guy. And and he would you know be on the top of the surface and dive down. Like two and a half minutes later, he'd come up with three fish, and <laughs> we're just kind of yeah. flopping around the surface. And then he would trying uh, to get your goggles and, right. Yeah, he's like, no, right. that's exactly what he was. <laughs> And then for some reason he made Andy the uh, the holder of the fish, yeah. so he had this he had a, sort of a, uh, a a leader that was yeah. like wrapped around Andy, and every time he get a fish he'd hook it on the leader so and hook, it, hook it to Andy. I had a tail, a bleeding dead fish in great white shark territory. My first time spearfishing. Yeah, it was in like black water and it's raining in like 48 degrees, like, yeah. and we're a mile you know off the coast. Yeah. I thought I, I literally thought we were gonna die. I literally thought we were going to die. That's like one of those things where you're like, no, nah, this sounds awesome. Let's go do it. And then you're like, how the hell did I end up in this? What am I doing? Am I nuts? Yeah. And, and then it's the, the guides of those expeditions are always such fascinating people too. And then you, you wonder like, you know, the shark uh, bite statistics right. are like pretty low. And it's just like, I guarantee you a huge chunk of it has to be guides like that. <laughs> who are just like, yeah, I just drop a bleeding fish to you and you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. No, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You'll, you'll, you'll be, be fine. Good. You'll be good. <laughs> Such an Australia story too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know really what that accent we're doing there, but yeah. it wasn't Australian. It definitely was not Australian. It's sad. Like I'm not even going to bother. Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hey, I'll just <laughs> try and do it. I don't even know what that is. Uh, do you got a bucket list place? I, I do. For some reason, I really really want to go to Egypt. Yeah. Because I, I just think like more from like a, just the amount of like science and culture that like cultivated from there was just, uh, that's definitely high up there. I, I want to go to Asia, all over Asia is yeah. huge on my list. Too. I know there's so many places that how do you really pick one, you yeah. know? Um, I, Egypt is great. That would be awesome to go see. My The first one that I would think of if I, could pick a trip anywhere right away it's Machu Picchu I think that that's so awesome and I just feel like the idea that you can hike up a mountain to the city in the clouds is like the the exact definition of what adventure and travel and you know exploration is all about for sure and, like that ancient civilizations are just oh, so fascinating it's the too. best just... yeah it's so awesome it just seems like the coolest um but anyway, that's the, that's Richard and Andy uh, from Huckberry. Uh, San Francisco was a blast. We had a, a ton of fun. Uh, we have a whole bunch of sort of back catalog stuff for future episodes that we're going to release. I think we might do New York City next, uh, yeah. where we went to a bar that was just 
unreal. Just an, a, a fantastic source of uh, New York City music history uh, and w- just a genuine character that's like pulled right out of a movie. Just an awesome, awesome guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the best. But that's, that's coming up soon. Uh, but Brendan, thank you so much for sitting in. And again, thank you for uh, bearing through all of these trials and tribulations to to make this all happen and it's it's pretty good to be sitting here now where we are. Hey man, thank you. I mean, just the opportunity to get to travel and uh film stuff doesn't doesn't really get better than that. And uh and thank you for listening to and be sure to rate and review the podcast because that's really the way that people find it and and that kind of thing really is important. You may think that taking the 30 seconds just to hit those stars and the review it it means all the you know it's so important for for shows like this so uh please take the time to do that uh and i also want to say that off the seat and path is produced by myself brendan pike dj spar additional production help from anthony gamboa matt mccready brian rovenpera josh cole brian queskin paul klingberg and mario miranda uh that's about it that we have any closing thoughts Nope. Brendan, now we're good. I feel great. That was my first time. I feel real, real good. All right, cool. Yeah, dude, that was fun. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.